You're listening to Tin Pod Radio. This is Erin Pline and Jordan Middleton from Crime Crazy, where we prove that we know nothing about our legal system, but we're still crazy for a good true crime story. I'm Leslie McMurtry. I'm editor of the Terrible Zodan fanzine. And I'm Jamie Beckwith, and I contribute to the fanzine and run the fanzine's Twitter page. So how did the Terrible Zodan get started? Um, in 2008, I was reading a fanzine by um, Paul Castle called Shooty Dog Thing. It was the first fanzine I'd ever come across. And um, I should say it's a Doctor Who fan theme, obvious from the title. Um, and I, yeah, I really enjoyed it, and I started submitting some pieces to it. And some of them got published, and some of them, Paul just said, you know, this, is, this isn't really what our style is. So um, because I'd had previous experience on the staff of Scribindi Arts and Literary Magazine, which is a run out of the University of New Mexico, where I got my uh, BA, um, I had some sort of magazine editing experience, so I thought, well, let me try doing my own fanzine, uh, which is how it started. Oh, cool. cool. Was there a, a, a different approach you wanted to take with it? Yeah, um, so I guess I noticed that a lot of fandom at that point was well, more male than female, um, in, in some places at least. So I thought I would take the terrible Zodan and make it sort of for all fans of all genders, um, with maybe slightly more feminist slant on things. Um, the name of the fanzine comes from an unseen sort of villainess slash monster, um, the terrible Zodan, as mentioned by the second doctor in Five Doctors, um, but we know it's a she, so that's all we know about the Terrible Zodan. Uh, I don't know if it's, if it's happened, but have they ever written anything with the Terrible Zodan yet? I think they've just been mentioned in episodes, so it was mentioned in the Five Doctors. Um, I think it got a mention in actually in one of the um, Sarah Jane adventure stories, but I don't think we ever actually have seen one. So one of the few off-references they haven't written a whole book about? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not yet. Um, Not yet, yeah. When we were at the premiere of, was it? Uh, Impossible Astronaut. Impossible Astronaut. Um, and there was a Q&A afterwards, and I held up my hand and said, you know, I have a question for Stephen Moffat. I'm representing the terrible Zodin, and I asked him, something about why does he set all his stories in the in 1969 he never answered my question but he did say he said oh the terrible Zodin yeah interesting so we always hope that maybe one day he would but <laughs> unless it's in the Christmas episode yeah, <laughs> yeah. probably not yeah, yeah find out she's Mrs. Claus or something yeah <laughs> yeah that would be cool <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, uh, were you both into fandoms uh, from an early age, or was this one of your first dips into it, really? Yeah, um, I was not too fan since I was about six, basically. Um, and I got introduced to it by my dad. He he watched Doctor Who from from the beginning, so he 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 was about twelve or so when uh, William Hartnell first started, um, and he kept up with it uh, probably until about his twenties, which would have been some of the mid. Uh, Tom Baker era, um, and then when I was about six, um, he was just flipping through the Radio Times and he saw that the show was still going. He didn't realize it was still going, um, and because he'd enjoyed it as a kid, he thought I might like it, and I was hooked. And my first story was um, Remembrance of the Daleks with Sylvester McCoy, which you love to to this day. Yeah, absolutely, my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> um, I also was introduced to it in childhood. Um, because because I'm from the U.S., um, and you'll know this, we got Doctor Who on PBS, but in non-chronological order, so it was a bit of, uh, well, whatever the station could kind of get at the time. So uh, my mom uh, was watching Doctor Who from before when I was born, and I have lots of memories as a quite small child staying up what seemed really late to me, watching um, Doctor Who 
and um, I kind of, you know, as a child, I remember watching it, and we, we watched it together. My mom and her sisters are all big sci-fi fans, so I kind of grew up in a in an aura of sci-fi, but it was just me and my mom who really liked Doctor Who. Um, and I kind of got out of it until sort of my late teens, um, and I, even though, like, I remember watching the TV movie on original broadcast, um, but for some reason, when I was about 18, 19, 20, I got back into Doctor Who through the TV movie, um, watching it on a, on a VHS um, that had been recorded off of TV. And uh, not too long after that, the 2005 new series started. So since then, it's just, um, yeah, been, been a big part of my life. Yeah, when I was a kid watching it on PBS, uh, it basically dictated a lot of my, my likes from that time because it was basically all British stuff. Yeah. On, on like Sundays, I think it was, and except for Lawrence Welk, for some reason that old show was on before all the British. <laughs> yeah, and we had we had Lawrence Welk as well. <laughs> so I actually know a lot about that because I'd wait until that went off. <laughs> but um, one of the things like you talked about it being like a, a weird mix of episodes sometimes on PBS here was like I didn't even know the Doctor regenerated until way later because. We, they only showed Tom Baker's shows, and they never showed Robot, and they never showed when he regenerated right. at the end. So I didn't so know that for the longest time. <laughs> all Tom Baker all the time. Yeah, it was like, I got Tom Baker, like, probably four or five seasons in a row, then Peter Davidson once, and then I think Tom Baker once, and then Sylvester McCoy, and then it went off the air. <laughs> yeah, well, um, I think the reason I sort of got to see a bit more is my mom had the five doctors on VHS, and I really loved the five doctors, and that was my, you know, my first multi-doctor um, story. So that was sort of how I knew about um, other doctors. Maybe not so much regeneration, but another one of the, the episodes that I saw as a kid was Time in the Ronnie, which is obviously um, the Western McCoy's first episode. And um, even though I, I know a lot of people hate that story, I have a real fondness in my heart because, as I say, it's one of the first stories I've seen, and I've seen it many times. <laughs> is there a story that both of y'all, this is a question for both of you, that mm. you love but a lot of people hate? Um, I really like uh, Nightmare of Eden, which um, I, I guess a lot of people don't like. Um, and I can see why they don't like it because they're, they're I mean, it's terrible. It, it, it's got really bad acting and, and cardboard monsters and what have you. But uh, the script is really good, and um, Tom Baker just—he's full of conviction. He sells it, and Lala Ward sells it, and it's just there's something about it that, that just carries you through. I wouldn't watch it all the time, but um, I think it's—I think it's really kind of underrated. I think that some people just can't see past the wobbly walls and and. And, um, well, the really terrible professor. <laughs> um, well, for some reason, I mean, on some episodes, we agree, and some we violently disagree. Oh, yeah. um, I'm not going to say this is one of my favorites, but I do think Megalos is underrated, mainly because of the costumes. I, I enjoy um, the costuming in Doctor Who, and uh, there's some great costumes in Megalos, including Romana's outfit, which is one of her best and the second Romana had a lot of great outfits so um, yeah I guess that that's what I can sort of hold up is this is underrated yeah so I remember when we watched Megloss together the first time I was just thinking this is terrible and, and, and at the end she was like oh it was quite good wasn't it I was like no it wasn't <laughs> <laughs> but um, I mean with the new stuff as well um, sometimes we'll have completely different reactions to, to it and we've watched it together yeah um, we'll have completely different reactions to episodes like, like um, Robot of Sherwood yeah, I was going to say liked. Robot of Sherwood I thought that was really good and, and you did I think it's okay yeah I like Rings of Architane which everyone seems to hate yeah I don't you I don't, don't like that, that one, one too so. much yeah. there you go <laughs> I have friends, like, well, like one of my favorite episodes, which in the later years it's gotten some praise, is, like, uh, I love the Happiness Patrol. Like, mm -hmm. I, I've always loved that show, that episode, but, like, a lot of people I remember back years ago was like, oh, that's an awful episode, I don't know why you like it. Yeah, I want to I wanna rewatch that one, because although I'm a big Sylvester McCoy fan, I've only seen that episode once, and that was on original broadcast. 
And I remember my dad didn't like it at all. So, because I was only six, if he didn't like it, then it was my opinion I didn't like it. And for some reason, I never, never saw it on VHS again. Uh, I haven't got it on DVD. Um, so it's the one McCoy story I, I'd, I'd quite like to go back to and just see how I, you know, how it would be to see it now, really. Um, the first and only time I've seen Happy Happiness Patrol was, ironically, on November 23rd, uh, 2013, on the 50th anniversary. I was, uh, Jamie was away, so I was having a Doctor Who binge with another of our friends who loves Doctor Who. And uh, because, obviously, I've come to it post this sort of reassessment period that you're talking about, um, yeah, I thought it was really quite good. I wasn't like, oh, this is the best story I've ever seen, but... Um, yeah, it's it's very interesting. Uh, the novelization is good too. Yeah, novelization actually novelization. really good. And uh, if people haven't read the novelization, um, the the Candyman, because I think that's what a lot of people get stuck on. In the novelization, he isn't uh, an android. He's a uh, he's just a kind of humanoid character. Um, and so if you kind of see it that way, it's it's very different from seeing the the sort of um, android sweet monster that he was. Yeah. Uh, when I talked about earlier, like, uh, there was a lot of Doctors I didn't see for the longest time. Like, uh, mm. the first three I didn't see for the longest time. Uh, there was the episodes that I seen that people thought good or bad about, in my opinion, totally changed when I actually saw it. One of mm. those was The Mutants. I'd always heard it was the worst episode ever of Doctor Who. And when I watched it, I was like, this is not the worst episode ever. <laughs> Y'all have that kind of experience? Oh, we have, but uh, it's funny you say the mutants because we we tried to watch it and we couldn't get past episode two. So <laughs> afterwards, you're going to have to tell us what's so good about yeah. it. But um, uh, re very recently, we watched Colony in Space for the first time, and yeah. that was that's one that has a terrible reputation. Um, yeah, people say it's boring and slow, and and we watched it and we were really gripped. I mean, we watched it uh, over three nights and two episodes. Yeah, two, two so. episodes a night over three nights. Um, uh, we just thought it was really good. Um, I, it was nice to see uh, John Pertwee's Doctor go off to another planet for a change, uh, and you, I think he, as the character, was selling it. That, you know, for the first time, the Doctor's managed to get away in quite a long time from his exile. So he, you know, he's quite excited about it. Um, and I, I just didn't see anything slow about the story at all. Or I mean, it, it, the production values weren't even poor. It held up. I mean the. The, the lizard claw looks fake, but it's supposed to look fake. I mean, yes. that's, that's part of the story. So. Um, and I just got, we watched this after I'd been in South Dakota on an artist residency in the Badlands National Park for about a month. So I really had sort of frontier stories on my mind. And I think because that was at the forefront of my mind, it really um, gelled with that story. And I thought this is a really interesting take on that. My thing about the mutants is I don't I know that there's a lot of issues with it, but I I like the idea of it, what they were going for. I just mm. they didn't accomplish what they went were going for, but I can see the idea enough to to see oh there was there was merit here for it. It just didn't accomplish what it did. Yeah, I mean I really liked the novelization of Mutant. I haven't read it a long time, but I really liked the novelization. Um, so when we started watching it, I was I was very disappointed that it didn't kind of match my memories of the story. Um, and I mean, that happens actually quite a bit because um, obviously in the, in, the, in the old days before DVDs, um, when I first got into fandom, um, the novelizations were the only way of, of recapturing um, previous stories. So there's a lot of stories that I would have said are my favorite from reading them, um, but not from watching them. And a good example of that is The Time Monster. Um, when I read the novelization of that, I thought was, this is the best story of Doctor Who ever. And I, I, I reread it so many times, I could probably recite it by heart. But um, when I saw it, um, the Atlantis stuff is, isn't too bad, but the four or five episodes leading up to it just drags. So, yeah. Do y'all have one, one episode of the show y'all like to, if you're showing it to friends, you're like, well, this story I'm not going to show them at all? Hmm. Um, that's a good question. Uh, well, I so my sister doesn't like Doctor Who at all. I can't get her to watch it. She's not much not much for sci-fi anyway. Um, I did try. I mean, I I haven't really tried with the old series because I thought, well, if if she's not even if she's not interested at all, let me try at least with the new series. And I I remember. I mean, this would have been 
sort of early in the new series run, I did try to get her interested via um, The Empty Child and The Doctor Dances, uh, but uh, that didn't really work, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Yeah, with the new series, I think, it, I think it's easier. Um, I, I've got quite a few people into Doctor Who post-2005, um, and they, us- they usually either start at Rose, which makes sense, um, I think you can jump on at Smith and Jones, um, or you can jump on with the Eleventh Doctor. I think you don't need to know anything. Eleventh Hour. Eleventh Hour. Yeah, I don't think you need to um, to know too much about Doctor Who before then. So I think you can jump on there. Um, introducing people to the older stuff, though, I, it's difficult because, on the one hand, you want to say, well, an unearthly child is brilliant, mm. but um, people these days, you know, unless they've really got an interest in that era or, or really been hooked by the show, they won't. People won't watch black and white stuff. Um, so I don't know, I guess you could say Robot would be a good jump on point. Um, yeah. I know I've shown an earthly child to people the, the actual very first episode. Yeah, and yeah. And then skip the caveman part. Yeah, yeah. And, and then let go from there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, an earthly child definitely holds up. I, I showed an earthly child to a friend of mine. This was in 2005, so he, he had no interest in Doctor Who growing up. We're the same age. Um... But when he heard it was coming back, he didn't really have any interest until um, he sort of heard about the writing stuff. Um, and for him, as a non-Doctor Who fan, he was interested that it was being produced by the person who'd done Queer as Folk. He was interested that one of the writers was the writer from Press Gang and Coupling, um, that there was a writer from uh, League of Extraordinary... What's it called? League of Gentlemen. Um, so he was interested from that point of view of knowing them knowing these people, not from their Doctor Who work, but from their work in television, and thinking, this is good caliber work, so I, I want to check this show out. Um, and uh, one day he was around my house, and I said, look, just let's, I'm going to show you the episode from 1963. I'm not expecting this to turn you into a fan, but I'm just going to show it to you and say, this is why it's coming back now in 2005. And he watched it, and he, he, he thought it was really good. I mean, he, he didn't want to go on and watch the caveman bit, <laughs> uh, which is fair enough. Um, and... Uh, yeah, he thought it was really tightly paced, really interesting, and the characters kind of really gripped. Um, but I don't know if he's ever gone back and watched any of the originals, but he's been he's watched it since Rose, and he keeps watching it, and so he's certainly a fan of the new series, yeah. Uh, one of the things I've found interesting is, like, everybody wants to talk about the new series being very innovative, which it has been in some ways. Mm. But if you look, going back from Mostly Child Own, they were really doing some very interesting things with who they had working on the show and with the stories from the beginning. Yeah, definitely, definitely agree with you. And I think, I think because so much of it is missing that um, we don't really get to appreciate how innovative the first uh, two Hartnell series are. Um, I mean, I, I, I think even stories which don't have a great reputation, I'm thinking here the Sensorites, um, the Web Planet, I think watched on an episode-by-episode episode basis, they're really strong. Um, uh, the first time I watched Web, Web Planet, I was in complete agreement with general fandom. I, I actually fell asleep. It's one of the few um, Doctor Who stories I fell asleep through. Um, but when I watched it again, j- just an episode at a time, um, which is, you know, obviously how it was. I mean, I didn't leave a week in between each episode, but um, unfolding over over six weeks, that story actually, the, the individual components were quite gripping, and I thought the same with the sensor rights. Um, that the individual episodes themselves, I think if you try to watch all seven episodes in one go, it's too much, but, um... Well, yeah. and, you know, I mean, it's it's not gonna, this is kind of like preaching to the choir, but, mm. like, the war games, um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that, you know, that's quite innovative in, in many ways, and it's still, it's one of the most powerful of the, of the old series, um, as a, as a block hole, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and just, I mean, like you say, just go back to the Web Planet. I mean, they wouldn't make a show like that now. They, uh, with the only humanoid characters of the um, uh, are the TARDIS crew, um, and it would be probably quite expensive to try and do it now. But back then, they just went and did it. And um, okay, maybe the 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 Zabi look a bit ridiculous, but on the other hand, they really went for it. I mean, they really tried to show a planet with, uh, you know really alien creatures, not people who are obviously in costumes. And um, the way the characters speak is very alien, it's not normal at all, it's, um, especially like the Minotra, the way they speak is quite poetic and quite sort of metaphor heavy. Um, 
and the whole thing of just being able to communicate with each other. Um, you know, I think I think that show really deserves a lot of credit for for what it did. Um, and there's plenty of examples of that. I mean, uh, the Aztecs is really good, and that was a, a real chance to try and see a culture um, that probably wasn't very familiar to the viewers at the time. Um, the Crusades, I mean, that had quite a balanced, I mean, not too much of it survived, but it has quite a balanced portrayal of, of both sides, um, which, again, I've got, in the current climate, I'm not sure you, you, you do. Yeah, good point. Yeah. yeah. Uh, with Doctor Who's been around, it seems like forever, <laughs> in a lot of ways. <laughs> but, uh, but uh, and, and it always surprises me that Doctor Who magazine can still write articles about the old yeah. series when it seems like everything has ever been written about it. Yeah. 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 Do you, what do you think makes it a show that you can still write about, you know, the web planet 800 different ways that people can write about stuff like that? I think it's, I think that the heart of Doctor Who is imagination. And that's always been a key ingredient. And in the original days, you had to use your imagination because the, the budget was tuppence and, and three shillings or whatever. Um, now you've got the special effects, you, you know, you don't have to use your imagination as much, but the storylines are, are quite imaginative. And I think, I think that's what it is. I think that, you know, even when Doctor Who doesn't do a story very well, you usually have a good idea. Um, uh, a friend of ours, he's quite fond of saying, you know, I, I can excuse bad Doctor Who, but I can't excuse his boring Doctor Who. And actually, although there's a lot of bad Doctor Who, there's not that much boring Doctor Who, I don't think. And even the, even the worst stories, I mean, we, you know, we, you and I just talked about the mutants and the web planet, and, you know, we, we were talking for, what, 10, 15 minutes about these episodes, <laughs> but, you know, as, as, as bad as they are, um, in some ways, um, the ideas are there. I mean, you know, going back to Nightmare of Eden, the idea of um, these animals, the mandrels, being um, used to create narcotics, um, and you know the the professor, you know, let's put aside the, the terrible actor, but the, the character, you know, being quite willing to turn a blind eye to the fact that um, he's partly financing this um, drug enterprise, which is destroying many lives, many civilizations, and he's doing it just so he can get money for his research grant. You know, it, it's completely selfish. It's not a uh, it's not a thing of um, that he wants to um, better knowledge. You know, it's um, he's exploiting basically. Um, another good example, a, a story that doesn't get a, a particularly good reputation, the Claws of Axos. Um, the, the the really brilliant thing I think about that story is that the reason the aliens' plan fails is because of human greed. Uh, and although their plan was meant to be, well, these humans are so greedy they're going to take the Axonite and they're going to spread it all over the world. What happens, obviously, is that um, Minister Chin wants to uh, make sure that it's British influence, so he very carefully controls the supply. So um, the aliens' plan becomes undone because they actually underestimated our greed. And I think that's a brilliant idea. And you know, no matter the execution of that story, um, the fact we're here now talking about that story 40, 50 years later, um, I think that's. I think yeah. Long story short, my answer is the imagination in any story. I think. I'm going to say the character of the Doctor because, uh, you know, they created this great idea of not only someone who travels in time and space but who can regenerate and change his, her personality and appearance. Um, and so I think for a lot of people, I mean, the, the reason Doctor Who magazine and we <laughs> and then lots of people can examine these stories um, from a million different angles is because uh, if we imagine the life of a being like the Doctor, there's so much that's not on screen, that's not even not like in the comics and the books and the big finish and everything. There's just so so much room for millions and millions of stories to be crea created, and I think um, that's one reason why Doctor Who it endures so much. Uh, Leslie, you uh, told me about an article you wrote for Doctor Who magazine, uh, approaching that with the idea of like almost everything's been said about the series. How did you approach writing for it? Um, well, actually, I was just consulted for it. I wasn't, I, I didn't actually write it myself. Um, it was a feature on academics who um, are also fans of Doctor Who and write about Doctor Who in an academic arena as opposed to in fanzines or podcasts or whatever. 
Um, and basically, I was just asked, I was asked a few questions, um, and I didn't know quite what was going to go in, and I didn't know there was going to, well, at first I didn't know there was going to be a big picture of my face, um, <laughs> but that was okay in the end. Um, so, I guess what they wanted to know in that particular edition, because it was a special edition of DWM, was, you know, what's, well, the question they asked and that I answered and that they printed was, uh, you know, what's different about being an academic writer for Doctor Who uh, as opposed to, like, a, a blogger or something like that? And I said something along the lines of, you, you, you take everything that you want to say about Doctor Who and you put it in a more academic structure and you kind of, it, we love Doctor Who, obviously, because we're talking about it now. We've been talking for, like, 25 minutes. Um, and so we could go on and on and on. But um, academic writing, uh, you kind of have to repackage that love, whether it's, you know, it's a passionate uh, desire to, to see, say, yeah, yeah, the mutants is amazing, or a passionate um, hatred is too strong a word, but like a critique, and um, make it more of a, less about yourself and your, your own opinions about Doctor Who and make it more universally applied in the sense that other academics who have nothing to do with Doctor Who can sort of pick it apart and, and make parallels with their own work, um, yeah, just to make it more accessible. So that's, that's basically what I said. Uh, we all know fandoms have a problem with critical thinking a lot of times, like, <laughs> like, like uh, looking at stuff and seeing, like, oh, I know why others like it, but I might not like it, and that sort of thing. Um, do y'all find that it's hard to do a fandom piece and have it within, like, Doctor Who fandom? Because we know it's really passionate. It's probably one of the most passionate fandoms and that go after things really harshly sometimes. Too harshly mm. sometimes. Is it hard mm. to do a fandom piece for that? Um, well, I've sort of learned... Yeah, it is kind of it is it can be hard because as you say we are passionate and I think it's It's usually a passion born out of the fact that we love it and we want it to be the best that it can be Sometimes I think it's it's a passion that's born out of I don't know like seeking to be considered the best like the most knowledgeable about Doctor Who and kind of using fandom in a destructive sense like that or in a self-aggrandizing so what I I've kind of learned to, to try to be respectful because everything you know no matter how much you might dislike a piece of Doctor Who that's come to the screen the fact is it, it it's come to the screen and so a lot of people have put work into it including you know the writer and the actors and the special effects and the composers and the musicians etc cetera, etc cetera. so I think trying to keep that in in your mind that a lot of people have put work into it and you know they've been paid for it and they obviously you know they they done a good job uh, hopefully they've done their best um, and yeah trying it because you know we're both we're both writers ourselves um, and you know I, when you you put yourself out there in terms of having written something and you get shot down um, it is really painful so if you if you remember at the end of the day someone has written that episode and you know someone has acted in it and they are humans, as far as we know. So they, they have the potential to get crushed um, as well. Even when we've got such an interactive culture now with Twitter, and people can have Twitter wars mm, and mm -hmm. reach the, the person of their, their fury a, a bit more easily, um, that, that's potentially a, a problem. Yeah, I mean, I think, um, I, think that's, I agree with that. Um, and I think social media, in a way, has... has Amplified the kind of um, potentials for conflict because you know let's use that Nightmare of Eden example. I mean, I say he's a terrible actor. Um, I'm saying it, you know, half jokingly. Um, you know, I, I don't know that actor's body of work. Um, he's probably been brilliant in other things, but for me, he's not particularly convincing as that professor. Um, um, but you know, just imagine the Twitter had been around there. I could have tweeted that guy direct and said, you know, you're a terrible actor. On the one hand, he would go, well, what do I care about your opinion? Yeah. And who are you? Um, but on the other, that could have been actually, you know, quite um, hurtful. Um, and I think that's the reason people like Stephen Moffat stopped using um, Twitter, just because of the, the kind of sheer level of abuse. And um, 
whether you like uh, the, the the body of work or not. Um, you know, at the end of the day, it is people trying to make the. Be- I mean, nobody sets out to make a bad piece of art, regardless of what it is. Um, and I, I sometimes I can't really understand the mentality of um, judging things before they've come out. Once it's come out, absolutely, I'm all on board. I'll, I'll give you my opinion. Um, but there's people, you know, who are slating Chris Chibnall. Um, before a single second of, of, of his uh, era of Doctor Who's even been filmed. Um, now, I can understand being apprehensive because you may not have liked his particular episodes. That's fair enough. Um, but the kind of outright hatred, I'm not going to watch it. Um, and same with people who are like, well, I'm not going to watch it because there's a woman now. Um, you haven't seen what she's going to do. She could be amazing. Um, you know, and, and I'm sure she will be. I mean, they haven't cast a bad actor as the Doctor yeah, yet. Yeah, that's true. Um, so it's that kind of thing I don't understand. I do understand being passionate and having your opinions. Um, you know, we meet up with friends who are Doctor Who fans quite regularly. Um, you know, we cover quite a broad spectrum. Um, and usually I think that even if we disagree about the story, it's still done in a respectful way and usually go away um, trying to understand where the other person's coming from. Um, I mean, I've got a friend who, uh, <laughs> this will be quite a controversial opinion to, to Doctor Who fans, but she really doesn't like Sarah Jane. Um, and she's aware that that's a controversial opinion, um, but you know, she kind of explained why, why she felt that way and why I didn't agree with it. Um, and I think most of the other people around the table didn't agree with it. Um, you know, we understood where she was coming from and you know, she's absolutely entitled to that view. And I think that's that's the best way of of really having a fandom. I think um, having opportunities for people to talk um, about the show like we're doing now, that's really great. Um, I mean, one of the best things for me about um, becoming a Doctor Who fan um, was meeting other fans. Because um, when, when I was a child, Doctor Who went off the air. I was a big fan of Doctor Who, and then it went off the air, what, two years after I started watching it. And then in the 90s, everybody forgot the show. Um, and I went around thinking I was, and this was before the internet, of course, so I went around thinking I was the only Doctor Who fan in the world. Um, and then years later, I met some, I met a guy, because um, we were interested in a different show, and um, I can't remember how Doctor Who came up, but I was like, oh my god, there's somebody else who likes Doctor Who. So we got talking. Um, Leslie and I met because of fandom as yeah. well. Um, and we've met other fans, and. Um, I think it's just really nice when you you know you just sort of have that chat. What's your favourite story? What's yeah. your favourite thing? And people come up with surprising answers. I mean, um, somebody asked me that question once, and I, I, I mean, I was half joking, but I said, "Yeah, Nightmare Reading's my favourite story." Um, and he was just so enthused about the story as well. <laughs> and we, I mean, we we spent like an hour talking about Nightmare of Eden. <laughs> I hadn't planned. I mean, it's not really my favourite story. My favourite story is Remembrance of the Daleks, but. It seems like that was an easy one to say, so I wanted yeah. this to be a bit different, but yeah, it worked because he, he really loved that episode too, so yeah. Uh, I think part of fandom, maybe an issue with it, and it this probably goes beyond fandom too, is looking at something and saying it's it's your favorite against what you might think is the best. Like, yeah. mm-hmm. like my favorite episodes of Doctor Who aren't the best episodes. I know that yeah. for sure. Yeah, but I think a lot of people can't look at those two different things. So looking mm-hmm. at that, for me to y'all, what's your favorite episode and what your favorite story, and what's your uh, the one you think's the best story? Mm, okay. We should have thought about this, but I yeah. never think about these questions. <laughs> I'm the person when you ask who's your favorite doctor, I say wonderful chaps, all of them. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, I said, yeah. I mean, like I said, my favorite story is Remembrance of the Daleks. Um, and I think a lot of that is the personal history. It's the, it was the first story I watched. It really hooked me as a kid. Um, I've watched it so many times that you know I can recite it line for line. I've read the novelization. Um, but I, I, what would I say was the best story? Um, the best story. Well, let's see. My favorite. I'm going to give you several because I just can't choose. Um, I still really love The Five Doctors. I know it's 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 not the best, but it's one of my favorites. Um, and I don't know if Utopia is the best. It's one of the best, but it's definitely one of my favorites. And we have, it, it's mutually one of our mm-hmm. favorites because mm-hmm. we watched it together um, and we really enjoyed it and we still enjoy it. And it's kind of 
this sounds really cheesy. It's kind of our our Doctor Who story. Mm -hmm. um, well, it's the first story we watched together. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the best. Yeah. You know, I, I might I might still say Unearthly Child. Yeah. Yeah. Possibly Blink, and possibly Day of the Doctor. Yeah, see, my, my inclination was to say Blink, but then I, I just think that the Doctor's hardly in it. Um, so it would be quite ironic to say the best Doctor yeah, story is the one, one where the Doctor isn't Doctor's there. not in. Yeah. Um, but I think it's very well put together. I think I think it's an episode you could show somebody who hadn't seen Doctor Who. I wouldn't necessarily recommend it to get them into Doctor Who, but I think it's a, I think as a one-off drama, it could work for anyone. Um, so in that sense, I think it's the best. Um, I do really like Day of the Doctor. Um, I don't know if I'd say it's the best. That's a really hard question. That's a really, really interesting question. Uh, yeah. We weren't prepared for yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> what, what, what would you say is the best story? Uh, I think, I think Utopia is like one of the best stories in a lot mm -hmm. of ways, mm -hmm. and I also think Rose is, just because yeah. like it it's. It gets criticized by some people I've read that say it's too simple, but it was meant to be. It yeah. was meant to reinduce, and the way they did it was all purposely everything they did with it. You know, like my favorite Doctor Who story though ever is probably the first one I ever seen, which was uh, a Genesis of the Daleks. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. That was the first one I ever seen, and it just blew me away because I was like, "Whoa, this is dealing with some deep stuff." Even as a kid, I could see that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Actually, uh, yeah, I think I'm going to say Genesis of the Dalek is the best story. Um, it, it's certainly not my favorite. It's very good. Um, but actually, yeah, I think I think production values, acting, uh, the, the message behind it, like you say, I mean, it was really dealing with some weighty subjects there. Um, the Daleks look fantastic. Davros is, is a brilliant creation. Um, the actor playing Davros is brilliant. Knight um, is really good. Um, it's fright. It's a frightening. It is fright. It is frightening. It is. It is. Um, it is. Uh, there are bits that are genuinely upsetting about it. Yeah. Um, and even even the, you know even that giant clam. I mean, that's the one misfire. But actually, it, it, it is. You know, if you were watching it as a kid, I think it probably would be quite scary. It's mm -hmm. easy to watch it as an adult and say, "Oh look, Harry's got a clam poly on his yeah polystyrene clam on his foot." But, um, <laughs> As a kid, actually, probably quite frightening. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm going to say Genesis Dark is the best, objectively the best story. <laughs> I mean, if I looked at it and I could take out one little spot of it, mm. my, mm -hmm. I think the best one would be, uh, uh, now I'm blank, Evasion uh, of the Dinosaurs. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah I really if, like that story. If you can take out the stuff about... The, the actual CGU or whatever it was back then with the dinosaurs, the green screen, mm -hmm. I think it would be great, but you got to look at that and say that's a bad effect. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Definitely. Um, and it has the same cliffhanger for every all, every episode is um, everything's going really interestingly and then a T-Rex bursts in. Um, and that's, that's the same cliffhanger five times over, but... Um, no, it's a really good story. I think... I would say with Invasion of the Dinosaur, one thing I would have done um, is not reveal straight away that um, three months haven't passed for Sarah Jane. Um, I would have done a whole episode with her on the spaceship and, and made the audience think that actually, yeah, she'd really been there for three months. Um, but, well, that was a good good idea, but then they obviously kept coming back to the Doctor mm. and the Brigadier, so you, you knew that wasn't true. Um, but yeah, actually, Invasion of Dinosaur again, and again, I know we keep harking on about novelizations, but novelization is brilliant. Um, I, I, if you were going to ask me what the best novelization was, I'd say Invasion of the Dinosaurs. Or Doctor Who and the Dinosaur Invasion, I think it's called. <laughs> I, know you, I, I know you talked about earlier, and I agree with this, a lot of people, especially these days, won't watch anything that's in black and white automatically. They won't watch mm -hmm. anything with older effects and stuff. So mm -hmm. taking that into mind, what would be the one episode of classic Doctor Who you would remake as a Today episode? Mm -hmm. That's a good question. Um, I would say I would say Invasion of Dinosaurs. I think they've got the special effects now. Um, people are used to it um, from Jurassic Park, um, so I think you could do the scares there. Uh, obviously, no, the story is long as six episodes, but um, take the kind of core value of it. 
um, the characters were all fine. Um, the, the twists were good. I, I could say I, I'd do the twist where, so if you were doing it as a maybe three part or something like that, assuming it's 45 minutes, then um, do that middle episode, it could do a good chunk of it where you think Sarah Jane or whoever the current companion will be in the series, um, you know, that they're really on that spaceship. Uh, and, and that you know, three months have gone by, and you know she's really isolated from the situation, and there's no way off that ship for her. Okay, I'm going to throw a curveball, and I'm going to mention three Hartnell era stories. Mm-hmm. The first two are historicals, and I mean, I everything was studio bound basically in those days, and they did for historical episodes, they did quite well with what they had. But um, for example, the Romans and the Time Meddler, I think. Mm-hmm might be quite interesting if they could put a big budget and get um, you know crowd you know crowds to fill the Colosseum for the Romans mm-hmm. and um, you know Vikings Viking hordes descending um, yeah. for the time meddler that might increase the the sense of danger although as I say they, they did quite well with what they had and I'm gonna say here's another one here's another one of the stories that I really like but no one would ever say it's the best I don't think um, the chase um, and you know, there's a section in that which I really love, um, which is when they're in the apparent fake haunted house slash theme park slash we don't quite know what it is. Um, and yeah, I really enjoyed that part. But I think the whole series, because it's uh, that whole story series, um, it's it's got so many locations that they're going to and so many different um, time yeah. periods and mm-hmm. themes. Mm-hmm. If they had a really big budget, um, I think that might look really cool. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I um, it's not a remake, but I would really love them to do even just once, just do a historical story where there's no aliens apart from the Doctor. Um, I know it, it's probably more difficult nowadays because the Doctor, since 2005, is a bit more superhero, um, yeah. you know, than, than the old Doctors were. Um, but a story where you know there's the right level of peril. There's a there's a reason the Doctor can't just solve everything with a sonic screwdriver or whatever. Um, and it's set on a, you know, you know, some period of history, Earth history. Um, I'd just try it. I'd just like to see how it would work today. Because yeah. um, I think there's, I mean, yeah, the Hunter ones, you know, was a bit of a contrivance. The TARDIS was always, you know, locked behind a door or something that fell on top of it or was off the side of a cliff or something. Or in the ocean. Or in the ocean, yeah. Um, but, I mean, there's no reason you couldn't do that today, really. Um, I don't think. I'd, I'd really like to see that. And what time period, I don't know. But I'd really like to see a, a, a historical, like, the Aztec kind of uh, model. Well, yeah. I know, like, um, a story I actually like quite a bit, Black Orchid. Like, I like oh. that story. Black uh, Orchid. Yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, I know listening to commentary on the DVD, like, Peter Davison said he didn't think you could do Doctor Who without, like, aliens and stuff like that. I don't agree with that. I think you can. I think you can do historical ones, and you can do it without aliens. You just gotta mm-hmm. give the doctor a reason to be there and want to get involved in it. Yeah, absolutely. And even if, if, if even if the view is that the doctor's too powerful, well, then do um, the doctor's trapped for whatever reason, uh, and it's the companion that has to fend for herself or himself in a historical period. That's and that's really where the wits come about, because they, you know, the companions are supposed to be the kind of ordinary people like you and me. You know, if we were suddenly found ourselves in Elizabethan London, how are we going to cope? And, you know, the Doctor's trapped in the TARDIS for whatever reason. You'll come up with a story reason for why. Um, and and give the companion a shot at doing that. I mean, I'd like to see the Doctor as well. Um, but if, if the if the idea is that the Doctor is too powerful these days, um, kind of too superhero, then that's a, that's a way around it. Uh I can't leave this without asking y'all about what you think about the new series coming up and the casting and everything. What was your first thought when you seen the casting video, I guess, where they announced the casting? Um, well, I shouldn't have been surprised, but I actually was. I, I didn't really think they were going to choose a woman this time. Um, and at first, I was I have to admit I was a little concerned, basically because I feel like, I sort of feel like, um, you know, it's their their first shot at a, a female doctor, and it's obvious it's obviously already generating a lot of controversy. And if if this season is less popular or it fails for some reason, it will all come down to that decision in people's perception anyway. And it's an experiment they may never try again. That's a, a, I suppose a cynical way of looking at it. 
But um, once the initial shock wore off, um, you know, it's like every time a new doctor has been announced, I usually don't know who they are, what they've done before. Um, and so I'm like, well, give it a chance. As Jamie said, they haven't been wrong yet, and I'll just wait and see because at this point I don't get worked up over anything that hasn't happened yet, and I just wait and see how it goes, and hopefully, you know, with any luck, I'll enjoy it a lot. Um, you know, I, because I'm an editor of Terrible Zodin, um, maybe people thought, you know, I'd be like going in guns blazing, yes, finally it's time. Um, and it, in a way, it is time. Um, you know, I think it's going to be a really interesting experiment. And um, as I say, I'm not familiar with Jodie Whittaker's work, really, other than I've seen the first series of Broadchurch. Um, so I'm going to trust, you know, the BBC and the, the production team that they've found that spark in her that we've seen in all the doctors. And I'm going to, you know, expect that it, it's going to be good and it's going to be really enjoyable. And you know, she'll prove everyone wrong. My my reaction was also genuine shock. Um, I know people have been talking about it, but I really thought there's no way they're going to be brave enough to do it. They're going to cast another white guy. Um, so I was actually amazed, and, and in a good way. I was like, wow, they've actually done it. Um, and I really tried to kind of think through you know, what it'd be like, and I, I haven't knowingly seen Jodie Whittaker in anything either, I haven't watched Board Church or um, Attack of the Block or anything like that, um, I, I, so I don't know if I have seen her in anything, I, she doesn't look familiar to me. Um, and I, I mean, back in the day I used to be one of those people who thought, well, there can't be a, a woman doctor, the doctor's a man, um, he's always been a man, he should be a man. And then, I, I don't know who I was talking to, but somebody just said, so you can buy the idea that a Time Lord from the Planet Gallery can completely change their entire appearance. They can't change their gender. And when I thought about it, I was like, well, yeah, actually, why? why? That doesn't make any sense at all. Of course they can. Um, and the only reason the Doctor's been a man for the last 50 years is because we're in a society where actually we're in 2017 and the idea of a female Doctor um, is controversial. Uh, and it shouldn't be. Um, so I'm I'm looking forward to it. The the only thing I would say, and and this is nothing against Jodie Whittaker, is that I never like the new Doctor. I, I'm, <laughs> I'm one of those people that I, I um, there's been very few exceptions. Um, I, I think that's normal. I think you get used to it. Yes. Um, but yeah, I mean, um, uh, David Tennant. I didn't really like him until maybe uh, by the time Martha Jones turned up. Um, and Peter Capaldi, I, I, I'm still, I think he's a great actor and a great doctor, but I'm still not really sold on his doctor. Um, um, so the only, do, the only do, new doctor who really grabbed me from episode one was, was Matt Smith, um, which surprised me because by that point I was really, you know, Team David Tennant. Um, so I fully expect that I won't like Jodie Whittaker at first, um, but then she'll grow on me. I mean, um, I think it. I think if you grow up watching the show, the, the, the Doctor Who takes over from your Doctor, um, you, you kind of don't forgive them. So, I mean, like, if people ask me about Paul McGann, I know he never really got a fair shot at, uh, at doing it, but I would say Paul McGann is my least favourite Doctor. And it's purely because he took away, he took Sylvester McCoy away from me. It's not anything to do with, you know, him being, uh, 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 you know, his Doctor's great, actually. I mean, that, that uh, short... That seven-minute episode, or wherever it was, Night of the Doctor. yeah, Night of the Doctor, that, that was really great. Um, but it, you know, it took me however many years <laughs> to finally get around to liking his Doctor. Um, so I think there are people who, you know, their first Doctor is David Tennant or Matt Smith. Um, it was a, a shock for them to to then get Peter Capaldi because it's you know it's quite a significantly older actor. Um, and so again, to now go from somebody like Peter Capaldi to a young woman. Um, it's going to be hard for some people, and it, for some people, it will be won't be for any any reason of, of gendered stereotypes or anything like that. It will be purely because it takes us a while to get used to the new Doctor. So I, I'm looking forward to her, and I think I think she'll be great. Um, as I say, because I have never cast a bad Doctor, um, but personally, it does take me a long time to get used to the new Doctor. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't expect to to be. I mean, she might, again, she might do a Matt Smith on me and nail it in, in the first couple of seconds, but um, 
No, overall, I'm positive. I'm really looking forward to it, and I think it's a. I mean, it's a surprising move. I, I really didn't think they would be bold enough to do it, um, but now they've done it. I think great, and um, it, it just opens up so much potential in the future. I mean, you know, the Doctor won't always be a woman now. Won't always be a man. You know, uh, regeneration will be a genuine surprise. It, who's it going to be? Hopefully, you know, she, she or he won't always mm. be white now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it, it really means that actually, you know, before we were restricted to to only casting men. Um, you know, obviously, many, many brilliant uh, women actors out there. Now, whenever a new doctor, you know, let's hope Jodie Whittaker sticks around. But when she when she leaves. That casting pool is now wide open to both genders, and that's that's brilliant. Yeah, I was stunned too when I first seen it, and mm. be, being a true like total geeky Doctor Who fan, <laughs> what, one of my first response was actually like, "When are they going to do weird costumes again?" <laughs> that was yeah. like one of my first. <laughs> yeah. I'm tired of hoodies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, actually, I think that's um. That is such, I mean, you were talking about Rose earlier, and, you know, the first time I watched Rose, uh, you know, I didn't like that he was just in a leather jacket, and I thought it was so fast-paced. I mean, now, you look at Rose compared to an episode now, and Rose seems really slow, but um, back then, watching Rose when you're used to the 1963 to 1989 series, it was like being on acid or something. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, yeah, I'm with you. I I want to see, I mean, I I like the question mark jumper, I'm not going to lie, but... (laughs) I'm not saying bring that back, but, you know, I thought the question mark was kind of quirky. So. Hey, I like Colin Baker's costume, so... <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, um, it, it kind of grows on you. I mean, it, it, nowadays, actually, he's kind of... Uh, well, it, it's yeah. so much of who he is as the doctor, mm. that his particular doctor. Mm. It does, yeah, it does grow on you. It does become part of his portrayal. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, they joke on in the big finishes that he doesn't have to wear that costume yeah. on, on audio, and <laughs> Paul McGann jokes that he doesn't have to wear that wig on audio yeah. either. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, as, as a person who likes costuming, and I, as I say, said before, I enjoy the costumes in Doctor Who, um, yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see, because, yeah, I mean, they've made Peter Peter Capaldi look good in his costumes, but they've been quite monotone, mm. um, and, yeah, as you say, it's going to be a great opportunity to maybe do something different. Do you think, costume aside, because he doesn't have the same kind of costume, do you think Peter Capaldi is going to be the modern Colin Baker, and that people will appreciate his stories much later? Yeah, I mean... It- I can't really put my finger on it because when when David Tennant announced when they announced David Tennant was leaving, and you know everyone's speculating about who new, the new Doctor will be, I had a list of five actors and Peter Capaldi was on that list. Um, I, I I think he's a great actor. Um, I like him in the thick of it. I like him in Big Show. I've liked him in movies that he's been in. Um, he's a very talented he's person. A very talented person. Um, and so yeah, so when he actually was announced as taking over from Matt Smith, I thought this is brilliant. Um, this is, you know, I, I a predicted a, a, a right a doctor, <laughs> even though I was uh, <laughs> a doctor too late. But um, I was really looking forward to it. And then when when Deep Breath came on air, I was just so disappointed, and I couldn't put my finger on why because it wasn't his performance. Um, it's not. I mean, yeah, it's it kind of dragging out the old clockwork uh, monsters. I mean, but apart from that, it it wasn't a bad story per se. And then as the series has gone on. I don't know. There's, I, I can't. That's the thing. I can't put my finger on why I don't really feel the Twelfth Doctor. Um, and it, it is definitely not down to Peter Capaldi. Uh, you know, I don't dislike him. I think he's a brilliant actor, and, and I, I will be sad to see him go. Um, but something just hasn't grabbed me about his Doctor, and I, I don't know what it is. But I have tended to enjoy the stories more the second time around. I really enjoyed this season just gone with Bill Potts. Um, that was my favourite of the Peter Capaldi one. So maybe it was just a case of, as I say, it takes me a while to warm up to a new Doctor. Um, but I don't know. Overall, it hasn't hasn't really grabbed me. So yeah, I think there may be a reappraisal in, in later years. I mean, you know, as, when I was a Doctor Who fan for, for, from the McCoy era, um, yeah, Colin Baker's name was Mud, and um, <laughs> you know, nobody wanted to watch those stories. Um, and there's a lot wrong with them, but... Um, well, you say that, and like, like Brian and I were saying mm. about PBS, we got mm. them in all mixed-up order. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've always 
really quite liked Colin Baker's mm. Colin Baker, um, and I quite like the Sixth Doctor, even mm. though yes, the you know there are a lot of problems with the stories. His Doctor can be quite abrasive and even abusive, mm. Um, mm. but for some reason his charisma, I've always enjoyed that. Um, so yes, maybe mm. maybe what you say, Brian, about reappraisal um, and comparing the two is you know maybe you're predicting mm. the future here. <laughs> Yeah, I, I've always looked, like, I love Trial of the Time Lord. I thought that was brilliant, the story. And I always liked the fact that his costume reflected him. He's supposed to be, like, had brain damage, basically, from regeneration, in a way. Like, yeah. yeah. How else would you dress? Like, and he's yeah. crazy. Like, I yeah. hated the fact that they reconned it that he didn't kill Perry. I, I thought that was actually a great twist. What if the doctor did kill her? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, he'd yeah. have to live with that for yeah. the rest of his life mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah yeah I mean Child of a Time Lord uh, again I wouldn't recommend watching all 14 episodes in one go but um, <laughs> what, we, we watched it last was it last year? I yeah because so. last year was the, the, I think the 30th anniversary of, of Trial of a Time Lord so we watched two episodes a week over seven weeks um, and overall it generally held well together I, I quite like the Vervoid episode um I like the, the star. I think Mind Warp is a bit of a Marmite episode. I can see what they were trying to do, um, but it really hurts my eyes. But I agree with you. That <laughs> that twist um, when when Perry gets gunned down, and, and then then at the end they just say, "Oh no, she shacked up with Brian." Bless it. Um, no, I, it wasn't convincing to me. Yeah. And I actually was a fan of the Ballyard. I always thought it was interesting the fact that the Doctor goes bad because they showed that with Time Lords in the past. They get towards their last regeneration, they tend to go mad. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I, I'm going to do a bit of a plug for Terrible <laughs> Zodin, and the new issue is coming out soon, and I've written an article about uh, a theory I have about who the Valiard really is, so I um, hope you check it out, and I hope your listeners check it out. Oh, that's cool. Uh, do you want to plug your website for that real quick? Um, so it's... Is it? <laughs> <laughs> www. No, no, wait, it's http... Doctor Who dot wait Doctor Who TTZ dot blogspot dot com. Yeah, and if you don't remember that, if you if you if you if you Google the terrible Zodin, we are the first hit that comes up, um, which is which is good. And we're on Twitter as um, terrible Zodin, um, and we've got a Facebook page as well. Um, so yeah, please. You can come join on. the Facebook page and you can start playing. Is it the Chase, which is our very popular game, <laughs> and also. Um, Leave the girl. It's the man I want. Yeah, we got a, we got a, a thread that's been running on the Facebook page for about three or four years ago, and it's just it's taking innocent lines from Doctor Who um, and then placing them in the context as though you were trying to chat somebody up. Um, and there's some very funny lines. Uh, before we leave, do y'all have anything else you'd like to promote? Do you, y'all have coming up? Um. Uh, I don't know, actually. Uh, I thought Lizzie was going to kind of talk about her, her academic things, but... Oh, well, but they don't have very much to do with Doctor Who. No, um, that's true. That's yeah. True. Yeah. Unfortunately, so, <laughs> not. So, uh, let me ask you this real quick, then. Coming from an academic standpoint, looking at something like Doctor Who, how can you tell people what... How can you? It's not like you have to, but, like, looking at it and saying, like, this is something that's worth studying and looking at. What makes you think that from an academic point of view? Well, as we were saying before, Doctor Who's longevity um, it definitely makes it a worthwhile study for um, a subject for academic study. And um, because, well, in the in the issue of uh, DWM that I had my little blurb in. Um, they've said it's one of the best documented TV shows of all time, mm-hmm. which is ironic considering how much is still lost and how much was lost for so long. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, that fallow period, which some people call the wilderness years and some people call the theme park years mm-hmm. and, uh, bet- between 1989 and, well, 1996 and then 1996 mm-hmm. to 2005. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other thing, because I've been published in uh, a book about Doctor Who and race, and then my other, I've been published in Doctor Who Fan Phenomenon. That uh, article was about um, female fans uh, editing and contributing to fan scenes. I think um, because things like queer studies and uh, sort of looking at things through race, uh, race and ethnicity and gender um, is 
you know, and rightly so, very big in academia at the moment. Um, Doctor Who is always really interesting from that standpoint. Mm -hmm. And uh, some, well, this is something I can plug. Someday soon, I would like to um, either edit or co-write a book on Doctor Who in class because I think that's an aspect that has been um, under-researched and not so much said about. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, I guess uh, watch the space and hopefully, hopefully that will get done someday. Well, if you ever want to come on and promote it, I'll be glad to have you back on. Well, thank you very much. <laughs> well, thank both of y'all for joining us to discuss Doctor Who, and I'm sure I'll bug you again to come on in the future. <laughs> oh, thank well, you. Thank it was you a very real much. pleasure having you.